Hey everyone, this is Jen Kesnick, and thanks for listening to UBU, and I'll be me. I do believe we all have a job to do here on Earth, and I truly believe that that job is simply to be 100% yourself, who you truly are. Uh, you don't have to write a bestseller or make millions of dollars or become Instagram famous. You just have to be your authentic self, and whatever is meant for you will come to you. Um, but that is harder than it sounds because we live most of our lives being the children that our parents want us to be, and then the friend that we think we should be, and the girlfriend or the boyfriend that we think we should be, and eventually perhaps the spouse and the perfect parent, and so on. So who has time to figure out who your authentic self is when you're too busy being everything to everyone? Um, so I have a little exercise that I like to do with clients where I ask them to close their eyes, take a few deep breaths. Uh, I happen to think conscious breathing is the greatest tool we all have right in our back pocket all the time um, that we can use, take out and use whenever we need it. Typically, we don't give that much thought to breathing. We just do it. But if you remember to take a few deep belly breaths throughout your day, it's a really simple and easy way to improve the quality of your life because in those breaths, there's no room for fear, anxiety, stress, worry. So whenever you feel any of those things creeping in, go to your deep belly breathing. To get a really deep belly breath, uh, sensation, put one hand on your belly and when you inhale, feel your belly rise. And when you exhale, feel it sink in and contract. And for this exercise, we're going to do this for a few minutes, but on a normal day, I mean, you can just do this at a stoplight or every time you get into an elevator, uh, or it's actually a great way to slow everything down and do for a few minutes before you go to sleep at night. Um, so, but for this purpose, after you breathe for a minute or two, I want you to envision in your mind's eye your perfect weather. And for me, that's 76 degrees and sunny with a slight breeze and I'm sitting on the beach completely at ease and comfortable. Maybe it's the same for you or maybe you're inside by a fireplace with a snowstorm out the window or a bluebird ski day or a summer rainstorm. Whatever your favorite weather is, envision that. What does that feel like, sound like? Set the whole stage in your mind's eye and just breathe. And this is my favorite way of getting someone to begin to relax and become more of that balanced, calm human being that we really are or who we're really meant to be anyway. But because of stress, work, life, family, medication, diet, habit, injury, whatever, we're usually not starting from that baseline relaxed place. So try and do this a couple of times a week and, and see if it changes anything. Um, because when you're consistently practicing, I don't care what it is, breath work, meditation, yoga, whatever modality you choose to do consistently, because that's the key to success in every single thing we do is consistency, um, that thing that gets you out of your head and brings you peace um, you know, try and do that as much as possible because that's that space when you get in your zone, you know, even if you're running or riding your bike or, you know, you're working in your wood shop in your garage, you know, wherever you are where you're in your zone, you want to try and get there 
as much as you possibly can. I mean, most of us don't have the luxury of doing that full time, but you can always go back to that. Like I always knew I could tell a good story, you know, from parties or whatever. And one of my favorite things to do is to meet with friends and either go for, you know, a walk with a girlfriend and go deep and talk about, you know, everything and solve the world's problems or make them laugh. But it's that connection and that uplifted feeling was, you know, what I loved. But you can't make a living out of that because I was raised that work is hard. And if it looks too easy or too good to be true, it's because it is. Um, So anyway, what started about five years ago was Thanksgiving weekend We had had friends over for a little happy hour um, that Saturday after Thanksgiving. And I'm pretty sure I forgot to mention in my introduction podcast that my other favorite, favorite thing is happy hour. Life is a balance and I am all for a healthful lifestyle, but you got to live. And if a glass of wine or a cocktail with friends and laughing is part of what makes you happy, then you're my people. Um, So my friends had come over and... They had both just been to a wake the week before for a young man who had been tragically killed in an accident. It was very sad. And we are Irish Catholic, so we are no strangers to wakes and funerals. And we started talking about, like, wouldn't it be nice if funeral homes weren't all that same model that you get online, awkwardly wait to approach the family in the room that looks like a living room, but it's not, and... We said it would be great if it were like the old days of Irish wakes and you would have, you know, stories and a bar and a live music and make it a real celebration of someone's life. And I told them the story of my husband's cousin, our our daughter, Mary Jane's godfather, this larger than life character, like so many people lost in 9-11. Michael London was killed uh, in the terrorist attacks at the World Trade and Ironically, a few days before he died, he sat down with my brother-in-law and had a conversation about life, you know, and he said when it was his time to go, um, and I'm paraphrasing, this was a private conversation between them that I wasn't around for, but what was reiterated to me after was that um, when it was his time to go, he wanted a jazz band leading the congregation of people out of the church playing when the saints go marching in. And sadly, this happened way sooner than any of us could have ever imagined at the time. But when that band led us out of the church and across the street and down the block in New York City, it truly was one of the greatest celebrations of a wonderful life any of us had ever seen. And my friends and I, you know, as we were talking about it, all agreed that who wouldn't want that a short time later? They leave and Mark's running out to the store. My husband Mark's running out to the store. And while he's out, the phone rings and it's my Aunt Mary. And she said, "Um, Jen, I just got a call uh, that your dad had another heart attack. My father had had a long standing heart issues for years, um, but was always, you know, fine. Always ended up being fine. She said he had a heart attack and he died. And I was like, what? So she said, I don't have any details, um, but I'm going to find out and I'll call you back. So I was shocked, obviously, and I hung up the phone and I called Mark and I said, you got to come home. I just got a call that my dad died. And he's like, oh my gosh, okay, I'll be right back. 
normally my kids would have been, you know, all over the place. They were older and either out of college, in college, you know, so everyone was kind of scattered, um, but it was Thanksgiving. So everyone was home. Um, and they kind of was like, what's going on? And even though they were older, I just didn't want to be a basket case. So I was waiting for my aunt Mary to call me back with details so I could tell them what actually happened. Um, so I said, Oh, you know, grandpa had a heart attack and they're waiting for the ambulance, which was essentially true, I guess. But, um, as I'm saying that Mark walks in and he goes, wait a minute, you said he died. He's going to the hospital. What happened? And they were like, he died. And I was like, Hey, well, uh, uh." so that's how we broke it to our kids that (laughs) their beloved grandfather had died. And later on we laughed about it because that's how we deal with terrible things. We laugh through tears, but in that chaotic moment, wait a minute, he's alive, but you said he, he was dead. Um, so a week later, um, preparing for his service. And although he was a very spiritual guy, he was raised as a Catholic and, but like so many who went through Catholic school, like all the way through college in the fifties and sixties, he had, abandoned his practice of being Catholic. So uh, I knew traditional church funeral was not anything he would have wanted. Um, my parents were divorced, but my mother and father were friends. So she helped me like, um, procure like the hall that we would have his service in. And my aunt Mary and my uncle Kevin helped out with everything. So I had a lot of help, which was great. Um, but I wrote the eulogy. I picked out things for my kids to read. I asked his friend who was a musician who had collaborated in other things with him to sing three songs, My Sweet Lord by George Harrison, Come Monday by Jimmy Buffett, and Let It Be by the Beatles. Um, and so, and there was a huge open bar. So just the week before we were saying music, stories, a bar, you know, like what could be a better celebration of somebody's life? And here a week later, I'm putting it all, you know, into practice. Um, so the stage was set, uh, family spoke, friends spoke. And when it was time for me to get up there and eulogize my dad in front of all of these people, you know, I was like, oh gosh, dad, like, stay with me. I have to publicly speak. It wasn't my thing. Um, my father was a bit of a guru and he had a school that he founded, um, that was called the nature lyceum. And he and his guest speakers would hold monthly two day seminars about organics from everyone from the golf course superintendent professional to, you know, the curious homeowner. And he had a huge following of people. He was a very charismatic guy, great storyteller. And, and, you know, the people who interacted with him just loved him. So he had a huge following. Um, he became so passionate about organics after he became a grandfather. And when you're passionate about something, you know, it rings true for people and they gravitate toward it. So he had a big tribe and he also loved teaching. So there was, he was a, a substitute in the high school. And so there was all these high school kids there, um, which I was surprised. Not really, but I didn't expect to see them. 
so my dad and I were very close, but like a lot of parent-child relationships, we had our struggles to get through together for sure. And my eulogy was real and honest and from the heart. And as I was reading, I started to get really comfortable and happy and that I was getting to tell stories about my dad to this captivated audience who wanted to hear all about him. Um, it was so unlike being in school, frozen in the front of the room, delivering an oral report on something that I didn't have any connection with and no one listening cared about it either. So I had always thought that I wasn't a good speaker, but that day it occurred to me that maybe I just wasn't talking about the right stuff. So in my head, I'm like, is it me or am I crushing this eulogy? Uh, but I was really happy to be able to say those things about my father and have it be so well received. Um, and in the weeks that followed, I had different memorials and services that I was invited to speak at about my dad. And of course, it still wasn't obvious to me that it was the speaking part that I was good at. At the time, I was like, I am so super good at memorial services. Like, I should help people throw memorial services as a business. Like, <laughs> no dummy. That's not it. But it wouldn't occur to me till later that the last gift my dad had ever given me was to see that I was actually a communicator. So thanks, dad. A little slow in the uptake, but I got it. And right now he's laughing at me and saying, as he used to always say, you're a cute kid, but who likes goats? Right before I launched my introduction episode, I went to LA for the day and I went to this place called the House of Intuition. It's this metaphysical bookstore that I saw on the Goop website. So I want to check it out and it was very cool. But while I was there, I heard this woman at the desk uh, talking on the phone, making an appointment for someone to do a reading. So my ears perked up because I'm fascinated by all that kind of stuff. I think it's really interesting and you know, I have no idea if it is real or not, but I know that it interests me and it resonates with me. So I like to check things like that out. So I asked if they took walk-ins and she said, sure. And she set me up with this woman, Christine, and Christine read my tarot cards. And at one point when you get your tarot cards read, they say, you know, do you have any questions? And so I was like, uh, yeah, should I do this podcast or not? You know, should I start this? Is this crazy? And she laid out the cards and she said, definitely do it. It's not crazy. You should totally go for it. And I said, okay, cool. And since I was doing it anyway, I was like, glad you told me what I wanted to hear. Um, but then she said, listen, I don't know if you believe in previous life stuff. And I said, oh, I do. She said, because there's this spirit guide of yours that just stepped forward and is like imploring you to do this. And she said it was she's you from a previous life. And she was a shaman that was literally killed for speaking her truth. She used her voice and the men in charge of this village that she lived in didn't like what she had to say. So they burned her house down and they killed her. So she's saying to please use your voice. This is your chance. And it wasn't until later that I remembered that years ago, like 10 years ago, I got a call from my dad one time and he was like, yeah, so I was talking to this psychic friend of mine and she told me that you were a shaman in your previous life and that I was like an elder in the village that you lived in and I burned your house down and 
I feel so bad about that now. I'm so sorry. Like, I think you're still mad at me about it. And we laughed and I was like, yeah, whatever. Okay, dad, thanks. But as she's saying this to me, I was like, oh man, that's crazy. So I guess who knows, but I thought that was very interesting. Um, and there are a lot of things I like to do, but you know, communicating a message that I care about is my jam. Um, it used to be caring for my family, but as mothers eventually do, I went from being a manager to a consultant practically overnight. And that's the way it should be. I mean, you know, I get it. I am happy that I've raised my people to be autonomous. That after all is the goal. Um, but in an effort to not remain stuck in what used to be, I had to figure out what was next. Um, and for a lot of people figuring out who you really are or what you really want to do in life is not easy or fun. It's hard work. Um, and it's so much easier to care for others than to figure out what you need to do for yourself. And I always say this enlightenment shit's going to kill me, but if you do the work and figure it out, life can be amazing. So what do you love to do? Maybe you're already, you know, at six cylinders at your work and you love the grind and that's freaking awesome. How lucky are you? But also be prepared to have things move and shift because if you put all your worth into one thing, then when that thing's over, you're going to have a really tough time. Like Peter Berg, um, the director, uh, has this great series on HBO called State of Play. And one of the episodes is called Happiness. And it's about what happens to a professional football player when they can't play anymore. And really, it's the same for any of us and all of us, when we allow what we do to define who we are. And let's face it, we have been programmed since kindergarten to, or before that, to equate what we do with our identity. So as hard as it must be for a professional athlete to give up the limelight and the adoration of their fans um, and the hero worship, it's no different for a mother who has been in charge of her little tribe to suddenly not have those faces looking up at her, asking her, you know, what's next and hanging on her every word, you know? So, or for anyone who retires or moves on or changes any career, it's an adjustment. So keep moving forward and trying new things and seeing what feels 76 and sunny to you. Author Brene Brown, whom I love, writes a lot about authenticity. And one of her quotes is, you know, she says, authenticity is not something we have or don't have. It's a practice, a conscious choice, how we want to live. Authenticity is a collection of choices that we have to make every day to show up and be real. The choice to be honest and let our true selves be seen. That's, that's some brave shit right there. So that is that for this week. Um, thank you again for checking in. If you like what you hear, please consider going to iTunes and subscribing so you automatically get new episodes. And if you care to leave a review, that would be awesome. Unless it's a bad one, then please don't. Uh, and then on the website, you be you and I'll be me, there's a page that says connect with a picture of my son's dog, JMO, so cute. 
Um, I would love to hear from you. So fill out that form, submit any questions, comments, if you have ideas for subject matter, if you want to come on and talk to me about something, I'm open. That's cool. Uh, we are all in this together. So let's have a conversation and walk each other home as they say. Uh, I know I said in the intro episode that I would be doing dialogues. Um, and that is the truth from here on out. I hope to always have a guest, uh, but my guest lineup is still working out. So in an effort to stay consistent and put another episode out in a timely fashion, I had to record another one with just me telling a story but hopefully it was entertaining and the next time I'll have a guest. So like I said, thank you for listening. Be nice, work hard, have fun. Peace.